Hello there and welcome to SENZ and the Summer Special Podcast with Stephen McIver. It's December 29 and we have a tidy little podcast for you coming up. Shortly we talk to Joseph Parker, that's right, the man that beat up, and I say beat up, Deontay Wilder. Also we're going to dive deep into one of the most important things over summer, barbecues. And how do you barbecue meat properly? Adam Winter from The Four Sourcemen is not too far away. And then we'll roll out this podcast with talking to a, a local youngster. Well, he's always 22, 22 years old, so I'm, I, I can call him a youngster, who is uh, running a very smart MMA gym on the back of this explosion in MMA around the world. We're going to talk to Jake Howard from Resolve Fight Systems. But first of all, let's start with Joe Parker. Everybody's still sort of going, wow, did that really happen when he won every round on the Day of Reckoning on December 23 in Riyadh against Deontay Wilder? The Broms bomber was expected to knock him out, absolutely floor him, and he didn't even get close to him. And at the end of the fight, Joe Parker said uh, this was God's plan. But, Joe, I would put it to you, uh, you had a little bit to do with that as well. Steve, you know what? It's great to be back, to spend time with the family, and it's, and it's also nice to have four fights in a year and to finish it off with a great win. The biggest, probably the biggest win of my career. And I know Deontay Wilde and his team trained very hard for that fight. And I know they did the best. But I put in all the, the work that I could to prepare for this fight. Eating, training, strength conditioning, resting. I just done everything right. And I felt like it was the right time to put on the best performance. And I feel like my career is uh, alive again. Yeah. Alive and well too. Yeah, yeah, had have, had you been having doubts about your career? No, not doubts, but do you know when things aren't really going your way and you you have a bit of like a loss to Joe Joyce and then you get you get a win over Jack Massey, but not the camp hasn't been the best, you're not feeling the best, and I feel like you're overtrained, you're not just, you're not getting it right. And um, I felt like with this last fight or the of the year since I linked up with George, uh, George Locker and Andy Lee together, yeah. I think that's the super recipe. I spoke to Mike Angove about your fight, and I'll be blunt, I've seen you for, for since your whole career. I don't think I have seen you, and nor does Mike think, we haven't seen you fight that good. And that's probably the best performance. Take And even take into account the win over Andy Ruiz. Listen, Andy Ruiz, at that time, I st- you know, things in that camp, like, if you know the full story of that camp, it wasn't the best preparation yeah. for Andy, Andy Ruiz, but it was nice to get the win. But this time, and the prep to this fight, I just done, and the momentum of fighting, keeping busy three, four times a year, it just rolled on to the next camp, and I was able to work on skills, techniques, and I was in shape. I was always in shape this whole year. I know you have said Tyson Fury has had a lot to do with your camps, and this one in particular, I think the quote was, you said, uh, look, I just stay away from the right, but you looked in total control from the get-go. Was there any time during the fight that you went, oh, he might just clip me? No, no, not really. You know, in the fight, I was always cautious and worried about what he presented. And everyone knows that at any time, you know, Wilder can, can catch you with that, um, you know, with that mm. right hand and how dangerous it is. So our plan... And you know, going into the fight, and also what we worked on in camp was every second of every minute of every round, you had to stay focused and aware and prepared for whatever's going to come your way. And every time, you know, the ref jumped in to break us up, every time I stepped back, I, I was always moving again, and it always uh, just gave him a bit of something to think about. So he didn't, you know, so it didn't give him the confidence to throw that massive right hand that he has. 
It was a very respectful build-up to the fight but between both fighters. But I thought there was a little bit of annoyance from Deontay Wilder said, you know, I, sh- I should have won the fight, you know, and, and he didn't really hurt me. And I went, man, did, did he forget about the start of round eight? <laughs> you know, after a fight, like, I know straight after the fight, he didn't make any excuses. But when you, listen, when you go and take a bit of time just to think about it, obviously it's not, the, it's not, it's not nice to lose a fight. And especially when you put in all the work and you feel like you could have done better. But it's just at that, you know, on that day, I was the better man. And I executed my plan and I worked very hard for it. So um, going away from the fight, I'm just happy I got the win. And listen, he can make any excuse he wants, but it would be nice to see him come out again and see, see him put things right if it's with someone else. Well, well, the one thing you've done is upset the apple card, and that fight that he had aligned himself with Anthony Joshua now may not happen. So the question now for us, Joe, turns to you, and who do you want next? As soon as the fight was done, I asked uh, Anthony Joshua. And the reason <laughs> I asked him was because I, I know back then I was a different fighter to the fighter I am now. And I would like another chance to, to put things right and avenge that loss. But in saying that, though, I, I'm a risk to Joshua. I know they're building him up. And I think at the moment I'm planning to fight sometime in March. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to be home for long. I'm just going to be home to spend some quality time with the family. Then I'm straight back to camp. And I think it's time to to keep this uh, the great momentum yeah. and the, the, the wind's going. You know, boxing is not going to last forever, so it's time to attack now and, and keep, it, keep it rolling. You're only 31 years of age, and I know you've said you're not going to be doing this for the rest of your life. So are you still putting a, a timeline on how long you want to keep boxing? Yes, nothing past. I think with COVID, it pushed out a few years, so nothing past 35. Like up, up, when I'm about 34... That's when I'm going to start turning it down and then nothing past 35 and I think it's time to, to call it quits. And, you know, hopefully by then I would have done good things in my life with investments and all that so I can just live a good life and <laughs> a comfortable life. Is it satisfaction and relief knowing you've beaten Deontay Wilder? When, when, and you won every round, but did you know once that final bell had gone that you'd won the fight? Was there that much confidence? There was, I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I won the fight. And I know that he was celebrating and he was putting his hand up, but I think that was all an act just because they've already... You know, before my fight was done, they've already signed the fight with, jo- with Joshua. Mm. And they already had it announced and they were planning on announcing it that night. But as soon as uh, the plans were upset, they couldn't announce anything. So, But I knew uh, as soon as the fight was done that I won the fight. But I didn't want to celebrate too early. You know, things do happen in boxing where you're celebrating all of a sudden it gives you the other person. <laughs> so I just had to make sure that I was that it was uh, 100% a win, and then I was able to, to celebrate with my team. Talk to me about the influence of Andy Lee on you. I, I look at all the pictures, I look at all the social media, and it looks like you're brothers from another mother. Andy Lee is a great trainer, and I know there's, again, with the Joyce fight and a few other fights where things didn't really go right, but I think we got it right now, and Andy Lee is more than just a trainer. Like I feel like we're family. Same as when I was, tra- when I was training with Kevin Barry. He was family as well and mm. still is family to this day. And I just feel like we've got this good bond and we, we gel and it's taken us some time. But now we, we, we understand each other and we know what we want from the, the fights that we have. Joe, if you can't get Joshua, would you ha- take a look at Ruiz again? Ruiz, Zhang, Herkovic, anyone. I'm in a position now where I've said uh, before the Wilder fight, I'm keen to fight anyone and everyone. And I want to 
know, in boxing, you want to fight the best out there. You want to test yourself. And I feel like I love challenges, and I love to challenge myself for the best in the world. Man, you 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 are one busy boxer. Now let's talk about family. That lovely family of yours and that wife of yours. Uh, was she happy to see you home? And and how important is it now to have this this rock and four kids and another on the way, mate? Oh, listen, life is a blessing. Everything is going the right way. <laughs> I do. I love my girls, and I uh, my I love my wife, and I got another baby on the way. And it's just more blessings to add to my life at the moment, you know. And um, I think it's important after a long camp and after a hard fight that you come home. Well, whoever it is, athletes, just to go home and spend time with your quality, time with your family, because we all make sacrifices to, yeah. to achieve great things in life. Uh, just one final thought. Have you said a little prayer and said, could I have a boy? Who knows? It might just uh, be a boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! It might, it might just be a boy. But all I can say is, if you end up having five girls, you better keep boxing to pay for all those weddings. No, I think uh, I did. None of them are going to get married. <laughs> hey, Joe, it is it is always a pleasure. Thanks for the entertainment once again. Thanks for your time, and uh, ha- have a safe festive season. Thank you, brother. Between a boy and man She was 17 And she was far from in between It was summertime In northern Michigan Splashing through the sandbar Talking by the campfire It's the simple things in life Like when and where All summer long, that's what we're about here in New Zealand. And if you're listening to this podcast in Australia, summer is about one thing for a lot of people, and that's about barbecues. But do you know how to barbecue properly? Me? Nah. Terrible. Struggle with a charcoal barbecue. Struggle to get meat right. So we thought it's about time to actually give you some answers. And the perfect person to talk to is Adam Winter from The Four Sourcemen. That's right, The Four Sourcemen. So let's start. Adam, who are the four swordsmen? Well, we're, we're, we're four good buddies. Um, started a barbecue team back in 2017 and competed at our very first meat stock uh, competition barbecue here in New Zealand. It was the first big comp in New Zealand. Uh, and then we competed again and again and fell in love with it. And uh, myself and my wife, Sarah, we developed the, the rubs and the sauces we were using at the comps and they were doing really well. And we started a business... Uh, from competing, so that's where we came from. How, how do you know what's the right rub or source for meat? I think a lot of that's really personal for people. It's, it taste is very subjective, but look, salt, pepper, and garlic are the, are the three main things we start with, and then we add from there. So 
Um, for pork, we use our pork rub, obviously, and we, we, we introduce things like smoky paprika into that rub, which goes really well with pork. And then things like um, our, our beef rub uh, is there just to really enhance some, some beefy flavour with some garlic, pepper, some salt. And we use a little bit of beetroot powder in our beef rub. That's for the <clears throat> earthiness of the, the grass-fed New Zealand beef. It, it matches perfectly. Do you ever get sick of meat? No. No. <laughs> you don't. No. You don't. You never. You're around meat so often and and trying things out that you never go. Oh, I've just had enough of, of smelling meat now. I think there's so many different ways to to cook it, to grill it, to smoke it. Um, you you can make tacos. You can make sandwiches. You can have a steak. You can have chicken. A, a gazillion different ways. So I think. Um, Barbecue in New Zealand, which has grown a lot in the last six years, um, people are getting really experimental with what they're doing. And so there's a lot of different ways you can now do things. I had a, a, an acquaintance who says he's got five barbecues. How many do you have? Uh, at the moment, um, what have we got? We've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. <laughs> uh, I think we've got nine or ten. Why? Why do you have so many barbecues? <laughs> well, to be honest, we have, we have a competition set up. So we have two uh, New Zealand-made octopits, and they, they do our competition barbecues. Then we have a, a resting oven-type barbecue that we use for those competitions. And then at home, I have I have a, a couple of home barbecues that I like to use, and then we have a travelling barbecue I like to use, oh. and... And so and yeah. so and I want to go. Okay, let's let's get down to the nitty gritty because I'd like you to to help uh, people that struggle like me with a barbecue. I'm terrible barbecue. So first things first, gas or charcoal? What's the preference? Charcoal, definitely charcoal, charcoal right? Yeah. Look, it's, it's charcoal can be intimidating at first uh, if you've been on gas for a long time. Uh, look, but you just won't regret it. You, and look, you don't need to invest a lot of money in a charcoal barbecue nowadays. Um, you can get yourself going for 150 bucks. And, and, and start learning the, the art of charcoal cooking. But it's not hard, and there's so much information available online now. Uh, but the, see, for me, the key is how to get the charcoal to the right temperature and how to start it. I could never get it right. I could never get it, ne- never get it up to temp. So what's, what's the simplest answer to getting your charcoal barbecue at temperature? Um, that's a good question. So we use a, a charcoal starter, um, and there's lots of different ones available. Uh, you can buy a uh, electrically assisted charcoal fan. Um, those are fantastic. That gets things going very quickly. And <clears throat> use your charcoal as, a, as a, your heated charcoal as a fuse. It's there to to help start the rest of the charcoal. So you're not trying to set a great big inferno. Yeah. Start with a little bit of charcoal first, and then you're not going to spike your temperature. Okay, that's it. That's it. And then, how long do you leave it to get up to temperature? And do you cover it to make sure that it's it's getting up to temperature? I mean, do you have to have a charcoal barbecue with a lid? Charcoal barbecue lid, yes, yes, does help. You can you can create an oven that way. But if you're using it as a as an open grill, which we often do at home, we have a a, a Japanese grill at home, and we just use charcoal in there. We light it with a an electrically assisted uh, fan lighter, mm-hmm. and it's going going in 10 minutes. Um, it's ready to cook on in 30. Okay, so you do have to leave it for a good time to allow the... Do you, do you keep sort of stocking the, the, the charcoal on the barbecue to maintain the heat? Is that a good or a bad thing? 
Uh, we don't need to. Um, once it's going and up to temperature, that charcoal should allow you to keep cooking for a couple of hours. Oh, wow. How um, much do you put in? Oh, a couple of handfuls. Oh, that's it? That's all. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We use a good quality lump charcoal rather than a briquette. Ah. Uh, I, prefer the, I prefer the lump charcoal. Is, is there a particular brand of charcoal that you would recommend? There's quite a few. There's um, heat beads we sell here at work, and, and we sell it because we like it. Um, and then we do a, a Kamado lump charcoal here as well, which I, I really like for our hot and fast sort of cooks. So different charcoals will re- react differently. Some are better for your low and slow cooking, and some are better for your hot and fast. Oh, gosh, there's so much to go, go through here. All right, the one, the one thing I struggle to understand is what is it about brisket that barbecuers love? I actually, I actually cooked a brisket at work yesterday, um, so I can I can tell you from a very fresh memory. Um, in the in the when we started in the old days, um, brisket was always low and slow, and you, you cooked it on an offset smoke, a very Texas style. Yeah. So, um, 250 degrees Fahrenheit was your cooking temperature. You stood there for 12 hours, and you you really babied it, and and maybe had too many refreshments in that 12 hours. Um, <laughs> So it, brisket, brisket was a lot of fun in the early days. It was a, it was a real labour of love. Nowadays, with and a little bit because of our competition cooking, we cook our briskets hotter and faster. Oh, and and we get the same results. So now we're cooking a, the one I did yesterday at work was about four hours, um, and we're cooking at about three hundred and forty degrees Fahrenheit. So you're kicking the temperature up a little bit. Why? Why? You, why then, can I just ask? Why are you referring to Fahrenheit? Why not Celsius? A lot of the American recipes are in Fahrenheit, so it's sort of followed its way through to New Zealand. So when you're talking uh, charcoal and wood-fired barbecue with a lot of those recipes in Fahrenheit, we've just held that in New Zealand as well. Um, our internal meat, meat temperatures, uh, we, we do in Fahrenheit and Celsius in New Zealand. Our website has a, a guide, actually, with all the different meat temperatures on it. Uh, so that you're cooking to a safe temperature. Okay, so is it important that you get the right cut of brisket, the right type of brisket? I mean, when you're looking around meat, do you suddenly become a, a meat connoisseur of but the preparation part of it? The best thing with, with any meat uh, that you buy is, is get to know your local butcher. That's, that's my first really big piece of advice, is get to know them, and, and they, they can start putting aside better cuts of meat for you, um, they'll explain to you where it comes from on the animal. Um, there are many different types of brisket. So you can start with a New Zealand grass-fed brisket, a uh, good brand like First Light. Um, that's a nice product, and it's got a nice amount of fat in it, so it won't dry out too much. Then you can go to some of the, the Wagyu-style briskets. There's some very good ones being bred in Christchurch at the moment in, in, in that region. There's a couple of brands coming out of there that are doing very high marble score Wagyu style brisket. The more you spend, the better it gets. Um, unfortunately, well, uh, unless so you screw it up on the barbecue. If you screw it up, it gets very expensive. <laughs> but no, bris- bris- brisket is a labour of love. And it, look for people who are learning how to cook love for the, these sort of low slow cut meats. Start yourself with a pork shoulder or a set of pork ribs. Um, those those are two really easy ones to to get right early on. A beef short rib is another one. We often have people say to us, oh, how do I cook a brisket? Uh, I've never cooked one before. Start with some of those other cuts first. Learn how to maintain your fire. 
your temperature and your barbecue, and and once you can nail a, a beef short rib or a pork shoulder, you're ready to ready to attack a brisket. All right. So uh, my wife's always very mindful that you've got to cook pork properly. You know, is uh, so when you've got a shoulder pork, tell me the process that you go through to cook a, a pork shoulder. So we will do minimal trimming of the of the fat on the shoulder. The ones that we get in the butchers here are pretty well trimmed. Um, then I'll use a, uh, a, our pork rub, for instance, or our manuka hot honey rub, and I'll give it a really good coating because it's a very large piece of meat. It's you know, yeah. four to five kilos of pork, so I'll give it a lot of seasoning. Uh, that's really important. Uh, I started in our smoker at around the 320 degrees Fahrenheit mark, um, so, that, so we're smoking that, it. So we are smoking it, right? Is that we're saying we are smoking it. Does that does that mean then you have to add add stuff to your charcoal to smoke it? You can. You don't need to. It's up to you. One of the things with with adding smoking wood is is your smoking wood is your salt and pepper. It's your seasoning. Ah. So if you're smoking pork, for instance, use things like apple wood, cherry wood. Apple and cherry goes really well with pork. So match up your, your smoking woods with your protein. Um, Urban Lumberjack here in Auckland, he does a really nice range of woods. Um, we, that's what we use here, and his uh, his cherry wood is just beautiful. We we often use that with our pork. So I'm I'm asking really dumb questions here. So you're putting that wood on top of the charcoal, right? When when you're ready to go. Yes. So yeah. what we want to do is get that wood in there, and then once that you'll find it'll start giving off a white smoke to start with. Don't put your food in until that smoke clears to a a light blue grey tinge until it's almost clear. You don't want the dirty smoke on the food. The dirty smoke will create a very acrid flavour. Gosh, okay. And so, okay, so we've got, uh, when you talk about your rubs, uh, how heavy are you with the rubs? You talked about the four to five kilo pork shoulder. So how much rub are you putting on? On a pork shoulder, I will use 50 to 60 grams of our pork rub. So quite a heavy coat. So it's top and bottom, round the sides, put it everywhere. And then again, once that pork shoulder's finished smoking, after it's been braised, I'll actually add, once it's been put, the meat's been pulled, I'll actually add a little bit more pork rub to that pulled meat as well. Because on the inside of the pork, there's, there's, no, there's no seasoning. So, so no need to add oil on top of the pork before you put the rub on, just straight rub? Um, we don't use oil anymore. We used to use it, but oh. it can act as a barrier. Um, so that barrier um, can stop some of that flavour getting into the pork. If anything, um, you can just spray a little bit of water on the pork. Oh my gosh! So okay, so so again, the process this this process we talk about is similar for other large cuts of meat, right? So get your your barbecue up to temperature, charcoal up to temperature, and, and make and while that's happening, doing doing all your rubbing and prepping the meat, yeah. Yeah, and make sure that smoke's running nice and clear as well in barbecue. Do you stuff a thermometer into the meat or not? Um, we used to, and, and I think when you're learning, I think um, having a thermometer in there is a good idea. You can see what's going on. There's, you can you can pick these up for, I think nowadays anywhere from sort of sixty to a hundred dollars for a digital thermometer. Wow. Okay. And pop that in, and it can Bluetooth it. Some of them Bluetooth to your telephone and, and that sort of thing. <laughs> oh my god. Um, so you can you can stay well connected to what's going on without having to open the lid, which is the other thing. Don't open the lid too often. If you if you're looking, you ain't cooking. Ah. 
Yeah. Good call. Now I, I'm I'm going to I have to come back to the start again. Okay. You, I, and I I'm loving this chat because I'm learning because I'm a terrible barbecuer and I've got I've got a uh, a barbecue that I, I just can't seem to get the charcoal started. Would you buy one of those contraptions that looks like a tin can with the top open and throw the barbecue the charcoal on there to light it to make sure it's going to go? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Simple as that. Yeah. So, but and would you just use a a affordable way of, it's a really affordable way of getting things going you can pick you can pick up a, a chimney starter for sort of thirty dollars uh, pop the charcoal in and uh, and away you go it, with, a, with a, a fire lighter underneath and it, 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 it heats up very quickly okay but you of course are you talking about the electric uh, electric bits because you're a flat you're a flash individual uh so, <laughs> and, and and in many ways is it a bit hit and miss too when you're learning to get the big cuts of meat done Yes, it is. It can be. Every every cut of meat is different. Um, pork pork ribs are very similar at the moment. They're, they're an easy one to nail. The pork shoulders are all within sort of four to five four to five kilo range. Um, the way we sort of teach when we have our classes when we teach barbecue is is you're wanting to set the bark as as quickly as you can as safely as you can. So setting the bark on the outside of the meat is about setting the rub so the rub won't fall off. Right. And then the next stage of it is braising the food. Oh, how does that happen? So, then we so when, once that bark's set on a pork shoulder or a set of ribs or a brisket, any of those cuts of meat, you want to braise them. So when we braise, we braise in tin foil. Um, we wrap the food up and we add a liquid. So that liquid could be beef stock for a brisket, for instance, or if it's on ribs, I'll use a little bit of apple juice, a little bit of water. You can use beer. You can use pineapple juice those sort of things, those sort of flavours, and you're braising it in that liquid until it's really tender. So with the pork, for instance, we want to try and break it down so it becomes a pulled meat for the shoulder. And the internal temperature to break it down is around that 205 degrees Fahrenheit mark for the internal temperature. And then you want to, once it's been braised, take it off the barbecue and you want to rest it. Resting it relaxes the meat. Okay, so at what point in the cooking do you braise it? And I'm assuming, are you cooking these large cuts of meat in a pan or on the on the grill itself, and then do you pop it into a pan to braise it? So what we'll do once, like yesterday when we did the brisket, we pull the brisket off and I wrap it up in tin foil, and I give it a really good heavy coat so that it's nice and heavily sealed. Yeah, and then <clears throat> then we add that liquid, and then we pop it back into the barbecue. You can put it on a tray just in case you, you split the the foil. Um, I don't personally. I just I just run it straight into the foil. Just make sure it's nice and a nice thick foil is helpful. There's some very good ones out in the marketplace at the moment that are not your supermarket brands. Oh, okay, okay. So so you so you're only use you're wrapping it in foil, but the inside the foil you're being gent- putting the liquid in the foil itself, and it just yes. then then wrapping it. That's it. Oh, man. Oh, gosh. There is so much to learn. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, getting there slowly, Adam. This is Adam Winter from the, the, the Four Sourceman, and, and I'm learning on the run here. And I, I, it's got got me going now. I think I'm going to have to go out and go buy the old starter and ha- give it another nudge. All right. There's one basic that people can sometimes screw up. Well, there are two, actually. One's a good steak, and one's sausages. So you tell, I know, I know this sounds, but we're all very, you know, a lot of us are pretty basic, right? I'm not a great sausage guy. I love the big cuts of meat. I'm going to have to give it a nudge now. But for you, what's the best way to cook a steak to get that perfect medium rare steak? Because I like my medium rare. You can't beat a good digital meat thermometer. 
<laughs> you can pick one up for under forty dollars. Yeah. Right. So people, I, 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 I like. I visit butchers every day as part of my job, and um, one of the things I witness is people will go in and spend $120 or $150 on a Scotch fillet roll, and they walk out the door, <clears throat> and they haven't got a $39 thermometer. So I, you need to need to have something like a, a thermometer to gauge what's happening inside the meat. We, we, as Kiwis, as amateur cooks, we, we, we're not cooking these things every day, so we're not learning by feel. So... If we're not learning by feel, what do we need? We need a thermometer to find out what's going on. So when you're cooking a steak, if you want it rare, if you want it medium, medium rare, you can choose that by temperature. And it's guaranteed every single time. So you'll never ruin another steak ever again. But I'm not talking rolls. I'm talking the good old steak you slap on the barbecue. Am I slapping it on? Yeah. Am I am I just pan- doing it two two minutes either side? Or what's the story? Do I Do I actually have to use the thermometer here? Well, every steak's different. Every every butcher cuts his steak differently. So you might have one that's two centimetres thick. It might be a centimetre thick. So it's going to cook differently. So you can't just use a time. So that's where the thermometer comes back in. So a two-inch, or sorry, a two-centimetre thick steak generally will take around the six-minute mark to cook. So there's several ways to do it. You can you can cook it on one side, flip it over halfway through. That's not the way we do it. It's it's a, it used to be a popular way to cook steak. Nowadays, we flip steak every 40 seconds until we make, make the colour nice on the outside and the doneness on the inside right. The reason we do that is we get a much uh, more even doneness on the inside of the steak when we flip it every 40 seconds. Okay, okay. All righty. And sausages? Sausages, set up a, um, when you're cooking on charcoal, set up a hot zone on your barbecue and a cool zone on your barbecue. So that way you can colour the sausage to the outside to the way you like it and then you can pop it on the cool side to cook it through. And that's it? That's it. That means you're in control. The fire's not in control. Oh, okay. So if you're looking, you're not cooking and the fire's in con- not in control. You are. That's it. That's it. That's it. If you set up a hot zone and a cool zone, then then you're the one with the tongs in your hands, and you're in control. <laughs> All right. Uh, tell me your favourite rubs. Tell me your favourite rubs, and for what meat? Um, my personal favourite in our range is our beef rub. Um, it's an old recipe I made up uh, at home uh, 10, 12, 14 years ago, so I think. Um, it's the one with the beetroot powder in it. Uh, that is my mostly used rub at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I use that a lot. I use it on venison. Uh, I use it on steak. Uh, we've even used it, used it to cure salmon. Um, we've used it on kingfish. Uh, kingfish. It's just it's a superb rub that I use on a lot of things. Wow. Um, and our latest, our Manuka hot honey rub, we're using a lot at home at the moment on things like chicken burgers um, and chicken wings. It's, it's, it's delicious. So those are my two current favourites. And saying that, they, they all get a big run out um, jalapeno and orange one we use a lot at home on seafood uh, in this time of year when it's um, nice to be able to go out and grab a snapper or two it's it's beautiful on seafood so so if we if we took uh, if we took steaks you know flat steaks out of it is the key to a good barbecue just taking your time and and slowing slowing it down a bit and not rushing to get things out there yeah I think so I think have a plan um, with with, you, with whatever you're cooking um, make a timeline if it's a long cook. For, for instance, if you're going to do that pork shoulder, write it down. You know it's going to need a couple of hours rest. It's probably going to take six to eight hours to cook. And lay yourself that time. 
Um, if you cook, if you're cooking steaks, always rest rest them for half the amount of time that they took to cook. Resting steak is is so important. Wow, I did not know that. All right, meat stocks coming up again. I think it's late February in Hamilton this year, uh, in 2024, isn't it? It is. It is very exciting. What what does meat stock mean for the four sourcemen? Um, well, for, we our last one in New Zealand was 2020, um, and then obviously we we couldn't have it here for a couple of years. This year, uh, I, I ran away to Australia and competed with another team over there, More Better Barbecue, and we did Meatstock Melbourne, Meatstock Toowoomba, um, and we did the Port Macquarie Invitational with those boys, which we won. Um, so mixed stock for us is is probably just it holds great memories for us as a team. Um, we've competed in four of them. We've we've had two third places out of those four mixed stocks, and we're pretty desperate for a win, to be honest. Um, so we're we're we're, we're going to have a good crack at it. Adam, if people want to know more about uh, getting their barbecue right, where do they go to? Is there a Four Sourceman website? Yeah, you can head to www.thefoursourceman.co.nz. And we have some recipes on there. We have some digital meat thermometer uh, settings that you can use. Uh, you can reach out to us on email. You can phone us. Uh, look, we're here. We're, we're more than happy to advise and help. You can go through our Facebook and Instagram pages as well. Um, and look, we're all about helping the next guy or woman how to uh, improve the barbecue. Happy barbecuing, buddy. Mate, you too. And look, call in any time down to the shop, and uh, we can run you through some of the other barbecues we have here. Adam Winter from The Four Sourceman. That shop he talked about is in Auckland at 72A Moran Road. That's 72A Moran Road. And he talked also about meat stock. Yeah, great. That's fantastic. Well, it is because it's about barbecue competitions uh, late to February 24-25 in Hamilton. But it's also a, a concert as well. The likes of Kaylee Bell, uh, Shehard, Black Seeds, Catch a Fire, and local uh, surf rock band, which is one of my faves. I'm going to shout them out. A band called Flaxies. F-L-A-X-X-I-E-S. Have a listen uh, to their new single called Liquid Gold. So Flaxy's a part of that big lineup at Meatstock in 2024. All right, stay with us on this SNZ Summer Special with Stephen McIver. Coming next, we talk MMA and what it takes to set up your own gym.
This is the SNZ Summer Special Podcast, December 29 with Stephen McIver. Nothing like a good bit of stadium rock. Def Leppard pouring some sugar on me. Lots of sugar being poured around in the MMA world because the MMA has exploded. I mean exploded. And it's, it's nothing new on the back of the UFC, right? But in, in New Zealand particularly, uh, Israel Adesanya and his whole uh, CKB crew have really taken things to a new level. And it's seen an, an explosion of gyms. But the question is, uh, how do you make a gym work? And how does it survive? And I bumped into a lovely guy uh, the other day, and he runs a local gym. It's called Resolve Fight Systems in Roberta Ave in Glen Dowie in Auckland. And I got this feeling this kid, and he's a kid, he's 22 years old, has got his stuff sorted. So we welcome onto the Summer Special Podcast, uh, Jake Howard. So, Jake, thanks for joining us. What reason uh, did you set up your Resolve Fight Systems gym? Well, hey, Stephen. First of all, um, great to chat to you, and thanks for having me on. Um, but really, there was a lot of for me to get started into the industry. Um, I obviously was competing, training, and fighting myself. And then over time, I started doing a little bit of coaching at the gym that I was at. And then eventually, I got offered some work at another gym. And basically, the owner of that gym ended up leaving town, and that ended up sitting me in my position. So I sort of fell into it. Um, but it took a, quite a few years of training before I was at that level to really be able to coach people. So just just spent a lot of time building my own skills first. And, and I was I watched the UFC when I was young, and I always something about it. I just wanted to do it and jump in and give it a go. So that's really how I got started. See, at 22 years of age, a lot of people would say, well, actually, what have you done? You know, you've got no real sort of, uh, shall we say, credentials. I mean, that's the, that's the harsh reality. How yep. have you worked around that to build your gym? No, a hundred, a hundred percent. I mean, that's definitely when you're at a younger age. That's always the biggest critique, and and most gym owners are, are older people, like they're forty or older. Um, for me, really, it's just building on using other people's experience as well as my own. So I get a lot of help from other people, other coaches. I bring them in, consult with them a lot, and then also just being very thorough in my research um, to what I want to teach, um, and, and also catering to just different niches, like our gym itself. I feel our gym is a lot more open to the general public than maybe other gyms um, because we're a little bit more in touch with the general public sometimes and, and that's a really important thing, I think, for getting more people into the sport. Um, so even though I'm young, I can sometimes cater towards other young people um, and getting them into the sport. So have you sort of set yourself a, an age starting point and an age finishing point to, sort of, uh, to work that theory of yours? Um, not necessarily. I mean, it's a continual growth, right? So it's sort of one of those things that we keep evolving as time goes on and see where things can take. And really, I'm just excited to see the next steps that we can take, in, especially in this country, with how it's exploding at the moment and everyone wants to train and everyone wants to get into a combat sport. It's just really, looking for me, looking at my own development and how I can continue to develop myself. I don't think, like, with martial arts, it's sort of an endless pursuit of knowledge, right? So there, I don't think there will ever, ever be an end point. It just keeps growing, and you keep learning more and more and changing your ideas and theories. Have you yourself continued to grow as a fighter? Do you still throw yourself in the ring to, you know, to, to work through what you're learning? Yeah, 100%. So obviously with the last couple of years, I haven't been able to compete really at all um, until this year I got a little bit of competition and just because I've been so busy building the business in the gym and I, I didn't want to have a half go at the gym I wanted to make sure that I was putting all my focus into it but recently I've gone back into it and but it's definitely I think mean 
anytime you teach a skill, it definitely reinforces it within your own brain and makes you better at it. So that's obviously improved. I believe it's actually improved my skills quite a lot, even though I haven't been getting a lot of the physical work and mentally it's helped a lot. And now recently getting back into it, hopefully over 2024, I'll get to have a couple of, couple of fights again, which would be really nice. So Resolve Fight Systems based in uh, Roberta Street in Glendowie, Auckland. So what sort of classes are you offering on a, on a weekly basis? Yeah, so, I mean, we're pretty hectic. We've got a lot of classes. We've got a really busy schedule. Seven days a week we're open. Um, we have basically kickboxing, striking classes, you know, kickboxing Muay Thai classes. We have them pretty much every day um, at 6 p.m. They're like beginner-friendly classes. Um, we've got some jiu-jitsu classes and some MMA-based classes. We normally just categorize them under general grappling. So, you know, a bit of wrestling, a bit of jiu-jitsu. Um, mix it all up into some MMA. We've got classes that cover everything. We've got kids' classes, morning classes, sort of try and tick as many boxes as we can. Seven days a week is quite a commitment. So the question has to be asked, do you do seven days to, to make sure you're making money or is it as business good and you just need this time? Need the time, really. I mean, obviously, you know, that's that's like... I mean, money is important and you have to pay the bills, but it's, if you're getting into this industry, it's not about the money. It's really a passion project. Um, and for me, it's just something where I was doing originally. Um, originally was doing, mm. you know, six days a week or five days a week, and then it just it just spiraled to a point. I, I think, actually, we started at three days a week, and it just spiraled to a point where I need more more time with the boys, more time with the people that are training more class options so we can get more people in and as the gym gets busier we're not in the biggest space so we, it's important to have heaps and heaps of classes um, but again I just enjoy it I just love it so there's not nothing I would rather be doing and I also am super lucky to have a good team of a couple of other coaches so sometimes they can take over for me if I need a day or something like that so yeah that's basically how we do it. So Jake what I understand of gyms uh, some of them just don't can't survive because there's there's not enough uptake so where do you feel that uh, you've made you're making the difference because you're so busy? Yeah well I mean I think obviously there's, there's definitely a few differences we have I mean to start with definitely a big thing before to premise is that the sport is exploding in popularity at the moment in this country and as you see with all the UFC boys that are fighting yeah. you know they've just done such a good job them and the CKB team you know all credit to them they've done such a good job in um, popularizing the sport and getting more people involved you know without what they've done definitely we, we would nowhere near be as busy as we are but for us again we just try and when I started the, the gym I always looked to ways that we could beat out our competition mm. Because what we had was we had a you know we had a, a pretty terrible setup when we started bad location small little place um, and to be honest I had to look well I can't beat these bigger gyms in these areas I can't beat them you know I don't have better training partners for the boys you know and boys and girls I I don't have UFC fighters in my gym I don't have uh, you know fancy equipment and stuff so I had to look at other ways we could beat them for quality instead of quantity. Uh, sorry, for quality. And one of the things was quantity. We could do more classes, like what you said. And also just being very um, personable and understanding. I think, like, definitely when you're in a, a service business, yeah. it can get, like, people can get tricky. But staying really understanding, really open, really welcoming. Our doors are open to anyone. 
um, I think that really people can sort of sense that energy when they come into the gym and, and all the members are super welcoming and that makes it really easy for new people to integrate themselves very quickly. It sounds to me that the, the key difference here for, from a lot of other gyms, a lot of other gyms get very serious about themselves. They take themselves seriously and, and they forget one word and it's called community. Yes, that's everything. Community is everything in the gym business. Without, If you have a toxic environment in your gym, you know it, that's going to end in tears pretty quickly it's not going to last for very long and for us we've built like we've really we really do focus and do some a lot of work in the background on building that community and, and looking after our team because that's what keeps the gym alive how important for the growth of the gym is having fighters compete it's really important it's really important it's definitely not the most important thing um i think community is is one maybe the most important thing but it is really up there i do find whenever guys compete guys and girls compete we have fights you know we get a whole bunch of new instagram followers we get a whole bunch of new people trying to sign up like even just on these small local events like people see it um and they appreciate it and it and it gives it also gives a lot of motivation to the newer people in the gym the up-and-comers that want to that have aspirations to get into the ring um, or the cage, and, and it gives them a good, some good role models to look up to and makes them work harder. So it is actually really important, um, and it does really help a lot. You've mentioned women a number of times. Are you seeing a growth of uh, women coming into your gym? Yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely it's still something where there, there's more men getting into the sport, but there's way more women coming in than there were. Um, you know, for a long time, there was, we had literally none. Like, so we definitely have had a good uptake recently. We've got a way stronger, um, you know, female population within the gym um, and definitely more people, more women looking to get into it. And I think in general, just more people looking to get into it. From a business perspective, how did you approach it to make sure that you weren't doing this for nothing? Well, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, the thing with the gym is the model, um, with a fight gym like this, the model is, is quite nice. Like, um, you know, it's good to have consistent weekly income as opposed to something like a retail business. But I just took certain precautions. And to be honest, when I started the gym, I didn't have much, like, I didn't have much else going on. I didn't have many other options. So I just thought, you know what, screw it. Let's do it. Let's see how see where it takes me. If it fails, it fails, whatever. Like, I obviously had to take some certain precautions, but... Yeah. Really, I, I did take a lot of risk when I started up, and I think you know a lot of small businesses do. But again, the the, the thing for me was that the the cost of that risk, uh, you know, if it failed, it was pretty low. I didn't I didn't have a massive investment when we started this, uh, you know, financially or anything like that. So it, it wasn't a massive, uh, you know, the worries of failing. Yeah, they didn't bother me too much. But but being a young businessman, uh, important uh, the message would be important that you have a good accountant to make sure that you're you're on the right path. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I've got a, I've got an awesome uh, awesome group of accountants. So they really are really good company that really looks after. Actually, another young another group of young people, but they really look after me well and they they keep us safe on that side, which is good. Okay, so if people want to rejo- join Resolve Fight Systems, how do they go about it? Yeah, so uh, the easiest ways would be to hit us up through our social medias. So Facebook or Instagram is the easiest. Um, Resolve just should be at Resolve Fight Systems. Uh, basically, we've got a link in the bio. You just click it, you fill out a form, and you get a free seven-day trial. gives us all your details. We'll get in contact with you. Um, alternatively, you could give us a phone call, uh, 027-399-9377. But again, there or social media are probably the easiest ways to get in contact with us. 
Jake Howard, you sound like you're rocking, man. Happy holidays. Appreciate that. You too, Stephen. Thank you. So that's uh, Jake Howard from Resolve Fight Systems. Check him out on their Instagram. Uh, it's Resolve Fight Systems there in uh, Roberta Ave and Glen Dow in Auckland. And that's us done for this December 29 summer special podcast with Stephen McIver. If it's sports you want, there's only one place to be. That's right here at SCNZ.